Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Tonight on Fast, we are breaking down the banks. The financials on fire today as we gear for earnings next week. How our traders are playing this trade, plus sheep in wolves' clothing. Are innocent value trades getting unfairly punished because they're dressed like big, bad growth names? The four stocks that could have investors crying wolf. And later, the Bitcoin breakdown, the cryptocurrency lower again today. It's now lost a quarter of its value in just the past two months. How our traders are playing this meltdown. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Nadine Terman. But we've got to start off with the monster after-hours move in GameStop. Shares are surging after the company announced it is getting in on the NFT and crypto markets. It's up 32% right now. Julia Borson's got more on this. Julia. Well, Melissa, CNBC has confirmed with a source familiar with the situation that the video game retailer is launching a division dedicated to NFTs and to cryptocurrencies. Our source tells us that the company's hired more than two dozen people to focus on these new areas and to build an online platform to buy and sell NFTs of virtual video game goods, including avatar skins and weapons, asking developers to list NFTs on this new marketplace. Now, our source also tells us, that, tells us that GameStop is close to signing partnerships with two different crypto companies to partner on, among other things, developing games that use the blockchain as well as NFT technology, saying that they do expect to work with a dozen or more crypto companies and potentially invest tens of millions of dollars in these platforms in this next year. Now, the company is up nearly 660% in the past 12 months, has been struggling to turn a profit. So this is one new area for it to focus and to to tap into its meme trade appeal. Um, but I do have to note that this meme stock move into these buzzy areas very much echoes the moves of another meme stock, Melissa, which is, of course, AMC, which has been pushing into the crypto space uh, as well. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, by the way, it's worth noting that AMC is up about 16% in the after hours. Costs is up about 15% in the after hours. All these meme stocks seem to be getting a little bit of a boost off this GameStop news. Um, Karen Feinerman, what do you, what do you, it's important to note that this stock, in particular GameStop, has lost 22% of its value in the past month. So up 30%. It's still getting a fraction of what is lost back. Right. Although I don't look at it as a fraction of what it lost back. I look at it as multiples of where it started a year ago. And so this announcement is sort of interesting, but seemingly out of thin air. They've created about two and a half billion dollars of market cap, which is kind of extraordinary. I mean, I get that it's a really sexy space, a lot of interesting stuff going on, but that seems to build in a lot of success. And maybe that happens. Um, I just... You know, I think the stock needed something to reignite it, and uh, this is perfect. It's perfect. It's like but in the dot- not for me, right? It's like in the dot com era when you <laughs> announced whatever dot com, Nadine, and and all of a sudden your stock got um, re-rated somehow, and here we are with this video game retailer getting a re-rating effectively again. You're right. You're right, Mel. Last week, remember, we had Radio Shack was going crypto. This week, we've got GameStop going into NFTs and crypto. 
And I have a feeling next week Blockbuster's coming back into blockchain. I mean, it seems like every week someone's got an announcement. But at the end of the day, you have to have a business. I think that's what Karen's getting at. You have to have a business. You have to have a plan. You have to have cash flow. So you can certainly announce things. But a couple dozen people uh, isn't a lot of people to enter this space. And so I think there's a lot more uh, wood to chop, some information to be gathered to really understand. Obviously, the opportunity is big, but you have to execute. You have to have something. Yeah. Um, I noted the other notable moves in the after-hour session of the meme stocks, Tim, and I'm wondering how you interpret this whole sort of group moving en masse on the back of a GameStop-specific announcement. Well, there's a herd mentality here, and I, I guess we can now buy popcorn and Bitcoin at, at AMC. I, I think this is lunacy. I, I really do. I mean, what, what makes this platform any more meaningful than any other platform that can show up? But again, you know, it's not as if GameStop has a sticky clientele uh, and a lot of people that are returning to their site on a daily basis. I mean, it's a company that, that clearly has a different balance sheet, uh, clearly has been reinvigorated and has a very loyal retail fan base. But, um, yes, I, I do think that there is a follow-on effect. Uh, there are a handful of stocks, and there is some crowd noise right now. Um, but if you look at what's been going on with that group and you look at the 52-week, the uh, where they are relative to 52-week highs, uh, most of these stocks are being treated like they're high multiple tech stocks um, that also are, are not seeing the same kind of love from the same group of people. Brian Cohen had the magic touch with Chewy Guy, and he sold that puppy for... No pun intended. $3.3 billion. <laughs> um, and he's been in this stock and chairman of the board for quite some time. And, and we haven't really seen what his grand plan is. We've gotten snippets of, of some notions of growth areas, et cetera. This is the latest. But in theory, there is some talent here that could potentially move this company in another direction. They brought in a lot of really interesting people. We talked about them. We actually compared them to the late 70s New York Cosmos, if you recall. I won't go down that Spot rabbit on. hole, and I'll spare you. <laughs> but exactly. But what I will say is this. You know, you wonder how long they've been holding back on this. And they picked, they picked in terms of the stock, they couldn't have picked a better day to make this announcement. The stock, you asked me yesterday if I thought there was more pain in these names. And I said yes. And actually, I think GameStop closed at 129 and change yesterday. Actually traded down to 121 today. I think AMC traded down to 20 dollars ish. Obviously, both are bouncing now. I, you know, I can. This is sort of what I envision. You know, they make this grand announcement. We're getting into NFTs and all these fun things, and they close the door and they look at each other and go, "Okay, what does NFT mean?" And I don't think that that's far fetched. I mean, you throw enough against the wall in this environment, and things work. Um, is there more room to the upside? I don't know. I mean, again, I don't think this has anything to do with the fundamentals of the company. It has everything to do with the fundamentals of how the stock is trading, which have become entirely different. All right. Let's talk about other companies that have fundamentals. Um, check out the big breakout in banks. The KBE Bank ETF ripping higher again today is now on pace for its best week since last February. And it wasn't just the money centers leading the charge. Take a look at some of the names posting the biggest gains today. SVB, Signature Bank, Citizens Financial, all up more than 5%. So as you get ready for the banks to kick off earnings season next week, are you... Banking on these names. Um, Karen, you know, I, I feel like it's almost a choose your own adventure here in terms of how you interpret what the Fed gave us in the minutes yesterday and the rising yield curve. If you are to believe that the Fed is going to be raising rates into a slowing economy, is that a good environment for banks or are we expecting raising rates into a, a good economy, which would be a great scenario for banks? 
I think we're looking at the latter. I mean, is because of Omicron, is the economy slowing from sort of a, you know, heading for a blistering pace? But you know, a month or two ago, yeah, it's slowing a little bit. But I think it's going to be really still a strong economy. So the combination of the Fed raising rates with a strong economy, and hopefully that means with loan growth as well, that sets up really nicely for banks. So. Even though we focus on the 210 spread, banks are not set up as a giant 210 spread, but sentiment is set up that way. And so we've seen, obviously, in the last few days, sentiment really strong for the banks. The only thing I don't like about it is I hate when the banks run up going into earnings because invariably whatever they report isn't good enough for what that run up was expecting. So that could happen next week. But I am in these for the long term. Yeah. Um, Guy, what's your take on the setup here? I think Karen's spot on in terms of the setup, but, you know, we talk about a lot of these names, and I'm guilty of it all the time. I'll actually bring another name that we haven't talked about, probably for good reason, but look at the recent move in Regions Financial, which reports in a couple weeks as well. You know, some of these big banks obviously are top of mind, but some of them are flying under the radar screen, and RF is now trading at levels we haven't seen in 14 years. Valuation as reasonable as any other bank that I can see out there, and they've been making these sort of tuck-in acquisitions uh, very interesting. They spoke at a Goldman Sachs conference, I think, in early December. They talked about sort of the new pivot they're making. So I think Regents Financial could surprise some people to the upside. I'm with Karen in terms of these big name banks, but there's some under the radar names that we should talk about as well. Tim, what do you want to hear from the bank CEOs um, when they report next week? Well, I think one thing that, because Karen's spot on also about how banks rallying into their numbers, and again, banks sell off on their numbers. That's Mm -hmm. what they've done the last six quarters, and they usually about 10 days later start roaring, and I I think we have a similar setup. But we want to hear about commercial and industrial loan growth, and this is something that we have not had. And if you look at where kind of loan-to-savings ratios are for these banks, they're low, uh, uh, relative basis. And I think we're in an environment where we have been getting signs. We've been hearing from the banks that this is starting to pick up. Look, a name like Citibank, which is wickedly underperformed Bank of America or Wells Fargo, by 50 percent to Bank of America, by 70-ish percent to Wells Fargo. We get why Wells Fargo maybe has outperformed because it was down the most. But this has been really a sad story at Citibank. And and they've got a lot to do to to also inspire people as it relates to why you'd want to own the stock. Buybacks um, and and certainly to what they can do, the dividend within the construct construct of what they're allowed to do. This is what I want to hear. They've got a big investor day coming up in March as well. And I think they're going to detail this. But again, um, be careful. Net interest margins from a uh, you know, a steeper yield curve is not necessarily the same thing as what happens to the yield curve. Banks make a lot of money when the Fed raises rates, but you have to be careful about uh, where the shape of that yield curve ends up. What is a better trade? We've talked about the, the crush in valuations and some of the uh, fintech sort of names um, and then the rise in the tr- traditional banking names. So, Nadine, what's the better trade in your view at this point? Shorting those fintech names and the firm, uh, you know, SoFi, it's a square or block now, et cetera, or being long the traditional banks. You know, Mel, we talked a few weeks about trimming the tree in tech, but now you have already done that, and then people started piling into it. So the trade is mostly done, I think. And if, you know, we get some details from uh, the different custodians and prime brokers we work with, and they're saying now that a lot of hedge funds are underweight tech. And so I don't think this is the time to go start shorting something that is, you know, fallen on its chin. 
Um, and as Karen said, a lot of these have run up now into earnings. So, you know, we see, you know, maybe a little bit more upside for financials. We're more heavily into European financials. But you have to start trimming here, too, because, you know, they're not at overvalued levels yet. Um, but what happens is once you start getting paid and then potentially overpaid, then you want to be bottom fishing in the best names of what you're talking about in fintech. Not all names, but the best names. Yeah, in terms of positioning, Goldman Sachs had an interesting note out about hedge funds selling off technology in the last four days, ending on two, just this past Tuesday, so not including um, Wednesday's sell-off. But the, the dollar amount of technology sold was the highest level in about a decade. Karen, do you think that the sell-off that we've seen in, in an firm, which is down about 26% over the past month. Is that sort of pain over in that trade, or are the valuations still, still overstretched? I think the valuations are still overstretched. Now, of course, it could trade at any price. It could trade up sharply. That could happen. But I think that these stocks look like they're attractive, given how far could they've come down from where they were insane. So that doesn't make them to me, uh, you know, a good valuation. I still think there's a lot of froth in there. So I, the, you know, I just look at the valuation of the much more, you know, old line legacy banks, and that valuation, even though it's moved up a little bit, is still to me very attractive. So I don't want to, you know, I am short some IGV because I do have Fang stocks, I have exposure there, but. Um, I, I am not anywhere close to getting on board for some of these fintechs. Is that how you should look at it? I mean, is it the traditional banks or is it fintech? Or is, is fintech versus other places in technology, Tim? I, I, look, I, I, J.P. Morgan's a fintech bank. Let's be clear. And, and, and actually, it's going to be an earnings driver. Uh, their, their digital business, their cost savings, and, and their ability to actually navigate into a lot of these platforms um, that I, I think not only are more efficient, but, but in some cases are offering higher margins. They are fintech banks. I, I, you know, old is new, new is old. Um, and I think this is part of the dynamic. A firm, uh, again, it's not because there's regulatory pressure uh, on them. It's, there's an extra focus uh, by regulators on some of these loans and what they're doing with the consumer. The valuation never made any sense. It's nice. It's a new business line. I get it. Um, but it, it's yeah, the, 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 the legacy money banks are the ones to own. Yeah. Guy? You know, it's interesting. Tim calls J.P. Morgan Fintech. He's spot on. And Jamie Dimon was early on this as well. He talked about sort of the existential threat. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. he was arming himself for exactly that. So I'm with him. And it's interesting. And we've talked about this. Dan Nathan was early on this one, but I think we've all come around to it. Morgan Stanley, which was floundering, and I'm using that word by choice, for years, they finally figured it out, and they got themselves into three very distinct business verticals, and they're killing it right now. So in terms of the legacy banks, the ones we talk about all the time, I think Morgan Stanley continues to set up really well. All right. Coming up, another big bright spot in today's market, energy, the trade fueling higher today. We'll find out how the traders are playing these moves now, plus sheep in wolves' clothing, Innocent value stocks dressed up as big, bad growth names. Are they being unfairly punished? We're sinking our teeth into that trade when Fast Money returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Now to a group even hotter than the banks, Energy. Take a look at the group's best performing stocks today. Hess, Marathon Oil, Diamondback, Energy, APA Corp, and Devon surging today. How much juice is left in this trade? This trade is up 9%. For the- it's the best performing sector so far in 2022, Tim. Um, you're a believer, though. Well, I'm a believer because, as I've said, I think the companies are run differently. I'm also a believer because I think we've now gone from traders in the space to investors in the space. Mm. I'm also a believer because I think the equities are now out, outperforming the underlying. So if you look even at a, a move, though, in, in Brent from uh, December 3 lows, intraday lows, again, when we were questioning OPEC's resolve um, and, and just some of the headwinds from Omicron, you, you have a 20 percent move essentially in Brent. Um, you know, take a, a company like LNG. Um, this is, you know, a, a company that is, first of all, very well hedged on their EPS because they, they are in a period of, of they've gone from investment into free cash flow. This is a company that I think, like a lot of them, will actually be paying big dividends. If you look at EOG, two or three upgrades. The street is chasing this trade, and they're chasing it because, again, EOG will have $5.5 billion of free cash flow this year like they did last year, and, and I think that's the story. Yeah. Guy? Not a trace of doubt in my mind, Mel. I'm a believer. Now, I know Tim Seymour is nodding his head. Of course, the great song by the Monkees, Rest in Peace, Michael Nesmith, written by Neil Diamond, by the way, for you Fast Money fans out there. And clearly, the aforementioned Morgan Stanley watches Fast Money because today they upgraded Halliburton on a lot of things that Tim talks about, a surprise in free cash flow and valuation. We've talked about it for a while. These oil service names are cheap. I still like them, and Halliburton's top of the list. Yeah, and O, of course, is the uh, oil is the O in zombie, Karen. We, we haven't forgotten your acronym, so it's a, it's a winning acronym so far this year. Well, it's early. It's early. We're deep <laughs> in the first inning, first batter. It's uh, Yeah, so oil field services is where I'm playing it, although I have been watching, was it Paul Sankey's trade? Mm-hmm. Long Marathon Petroleum, the Short refiner Rivian. versus Rivian, which should... Yes, that's working out very nicely on day two or three of uh, his trade. So it's just sort of interesting to see what's working now versus what, you know, the air is coming out of some of the stuff that's been so frothy. But yeah, um, so that's my oil exposure. OAH. That was a quick buck if you put that trade on. Uh, Nadine, I think you're in the integrateds more. Are you looking to switch over to maybe oil field services or other parts of the complex? You know, we have a lot of positions, and um, you know, a lot have been in the, the final trades, BP, Shell. We've got some Canadian positions. We've got some, some positions over the world. I'm trimming a bit now, so um, when I look at, just look at the XLE, you know, let's say it's about 60, spot 50. 
Our low end of the range is 54.67, and the high end is about 63. So that's about 4% upside, so yeah, that looks good, but to 10% downside. And so I still think that there's room to run in these names, but we've seen a really big change, right? So you had capital flows that are causing this, and once you're not going to have that continuing. So then it's really going to come down picking those businesses, which I think that's what Tim's getting at, that are going to continue to perform, that have fundamentals, and, and that's really what we're choosing. But it's not as such an outsized position for us as it was last year. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. A sheep in wolf's clothing. Sweet value stocks dressed like a big bad growth name. So which one can you trust? The traders lay out their picks next. Plus, the crypto collapse. Bitcoin continuing its plunge. So what's next for the crypto space? There's more Fast Money coming up. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Fast Money. The claws are out. Stocks giving up their gains today after an attempted comeback earlier in the session. Some sheep in wolves clothing swept up in the recent selling. Innocent value plays getting punished as though they are big, bad, gross stocks. Each of the traders has got one of these names on their radar. Guy has been uh, counting sheep, although I don't think you have problems falling asleep at night. Uh, what's your pick, Guy? <laughs> oh, wake I'm up, sorry, Mel. I apologize. No, my bad. <laughs> PayPal. And I don't know if it necessarily fits the description, but I'll tell you, everybody loved PayPal over the summer. $310 stock. Fell on hard times. A lot of it's self-imposed. Obviously, the, the news about Pinterest didn't help. Then they came off a ridiculously bad quarter. But I think a lot of it's now priced into stock. That 179.52 week low we recently made is a level that we bounced from about two years or so ago. So we found support on good volume. At 35 times next year's numbers, I'm going to say this, it's not crazy expensive given some of the growth they still expect. So although it doesn't necessarily fit this description to a T, I think PayPal is going to start to accelerate into earnings in a few weeks. 35 times next year's numbers. That's like Microsoft. Yeah, that's correct. Um, that's, that is correct. And I know it's crazy, but I'm telling you, it's, it's cheaper now. It's one of the few stocks that have sold off and is actually okay. is cheaper now than it was a couple months ago. All right. Uh, Karen, do you find value in PayPal? Or I'm going to sneak this would you rather in. Since we're saying 35 times next year's earnings, would you rather be in a stock like a Microsoft? I, uh, well, I'll just talk my book. I am in a Microsoft and not in a PayPal. So, yes, I would rather be in Microsoft. Nadine, your thoughts? 
I get what Guy's saying. Is this thing has been so beaten down. There's some gems in there. It's about execution. So over time, I think it can work. Uh, but I will say, just like Karen, we have a position at Microsoft. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> not with Guy there. Um, Tim, what is your sheep? Ah. Yeah, I, look, I am the shepherd watching over CarMax, okay, KMX. And, and again, this is, this is an auto retailer. It's an omni-channel auto retailer. By the way, it trades at 17 times. Uh, just reported great third quarter numbers. Uh, their, their comps are really difficult, and yet they were up 16%. Only 9% of that is online. So in a world where anyone that goes online or companies that are just e-retailers have enormous multiples, this one does not. Um, it has the tailwind of an incredible environment for being a seller of cars, even if it's a secondary market seller of cars. But again, 9% of their sales last quarter, up 16% year over year, was online. Uh, I think this, car, this, this company is punished. Um, it had a great run. It's not expensive. And I think that's really the whole story. The Wolf is the expensive company with, with, no, uh, you know, with no earnings. This is a company that's actually not expensive, is being treated like a tech stock. It's down, 40, it's down excuse me, 25% or so uh, in the last 40 sessions, along with the other tech stocks that have sold off at the exact same time because it's perceived as an e-retailer that has a crazy multiple. Guy, you like CarMax? Tim is spot on. It's not expensive. It is sold off. It was $155 stock like the last time I looked. Now it's, what, $119. And on valuation, you can make a compelling case. My only concern would be it had an astronomical run-up, and have we given enough back in this environment? That would be my pushback. But he nailed it in terms of a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> Karen, what's your sheep? My sheep is the, just the warm and cuddly Facebook meta platforms. So I look at this and I look at valuation always first. And, you know, with a you know, price to earnings growth about one and, you know, a cash hoard that is enormous, an incredible business, margins that are really wide. Just think about this. So GameStop announces they're getting into, you know, NFT and crypto and... Facebook is already, they're already in the metaverse, right? They've been there for a while with Oculus. And so I think we're going to see a lot from them. They've changed their name to Meta Platform as, a, as an indication of one, PR spin, and two, getting into the metaverse. And yet, you know, the stock hasn't really moved. So that is my sheep. I'm long it. I really like it. The valuation is, it's so cuddly. It makes me just feel warm. <laughs> does, uh, does Meta make you feel warm? And fuzzy, Tim? No, I, I do not want to cuddle um, Meta or Facebook or whatever. And, and the wolf is probably, look, Facebook may be a sheep in valuation. It really is. And Karen's right to want to snuggle with that one. Um, but I think it, the wolf is in D.C. The wolf is in ESG. The wolf is in advertisers that at some point are going to have some other place to go. But for now, it, it, like, if, if this was a sheep in wolf's clothing, yes, that was the, that, that was the, the game we're playing here. You know, the, the valuation means this is absolutely sheep. So... Nice job, Karen. Nadine, what is your sheep? <laughs> so my sheep is, you know, last week we were talking about how real estate was overbought. So now I'm saying we had it, you know, the rates popping up. Now real estate is at a more attractive level. So it's Equinix. And so it's not levered like a traditional REIT. You know, they're going to continue to deliver increasing free cash flow. So a la Tim's point about cash flow and 
and solid businesses. They have great management of the company. We've been holders all along the way since 2013. They're a global player that benefits from tech, but they're not a tech player. They're just a mission-critical digital infrastructure player. So where do I want it? I would like to go fishing or to buy it around 768. Right now it's out 780. And our top end is 8.52, so it's only got about 1.7% downside to 9.2% upside. I like those odds. Uh, so it's that gift today that we didn't have last week, and I would enter that one. Di, do you like this one? It's expensive on a dollar basis. I mean, she's swimming in the deep end of the pool. It's also expensive. I think Nadine would agree on evaluation, but... Look, it's hard to argue with the performance of the stock over the last couple of weeks, so good for her. I will say this in terms of, what were we saying, cuddling with Facebook? I'd rather eat one of those KFC <laughs> niblets you talked about last night than cuddle with anything related to Facebook. And you know what those uh, KFC things do to my constitution. I, this is like the fifth mention of your constitution in the first four trading days of the year. Um, so we're on to something. We're on to something. Coming up, a metal mining mystery. One lithium miner with a nearly $4 billion valuation, but just one thing, they haven't produced one ounce of lithium. So how do you justify that valuation? The company's CEO will join us exclusively. But first, shopping time. Check out the retail names ripping higher in today's session. Which ones are worth a buy? We'll break that down next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. There was a shopping spree in some retail stocks, Allbirds, Stitch Fix, Bed Bath & Beyond, and more, all surging in today's trade. But it's been a long, rough year for many of these names. So is this a turning point? Karen or dead cut bounce? What do you think? Well, I'm not, I mean, all retailers are not created alike. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of value in the space, though. I think that one of the things that sort of caused a knock on it is that the idea that gross margins will will be um, under pressure next year. And I think that's probably true <coughs> because they've been able to sell so much not on sale. It hasn't been a promotional environment. So for me, I don't own the stitch fixes of the world. All birds, my son would have would have made me own it, but I didn't listen to him, nor did I listen to my daughter buy Bitcoin at $12. But anyway, aside from that, I, I do have Capri. I do have Target. Um, Home Depot and Lowe's are somewhat of a different bet. And uh, I also have Walmart as well. And I also have some Foot Locker, which is just ridiculously cheap. Yeah. Guy, where do you find value here? And, and Karen's kids, clearly. I mean, <laughs> there are four of them. Maybe the other two can tell me something. Dollar General, it's interesting. Wells Fargo downgraded Dollar Gen and Target today. It's an interesting downgrade. Good for them, by the way, for stepping up. But you know, Dollar Gen's been trading very quietly, very well over the last couple of weeks. They report, I think, in early March. So I think Dollar General's still worth a look here. Flirting with their all-time high, I think we're going to power through. Yeah, Nadine, this earnings season should be very interesting because we will get the true read of what the consumer was doing during the holidays. I know you love the puns, Mal, so I think you've got to thread that needle that this quarter will probably be pretty good for a lot of retailers for the reason that Karen said. They didn't have to discount, so you're going to see, still see decent margins. 
But over the course of the year, a lot of people are going to have excess inventory. They're going to get rid of that. They're not going to be able to keep the prices that they had before. So you're going to have to really be selective of who you're keeping. And she's obviously, she's got a lot of names that we have, and she's other than Foot Locker. Um, but keeping in the, that tone, you either want luxury, so people who will pay for higher prices, or people who might buy up that excess inventory, like a TJX. So when you look at stick fit, sell the news, I mean, a repurchase, uh, if you can't do something better with your capital, that's worrisome. And Bed Bath Beyond, you know, you look at that and you say they have losses, uh, years of underinvestments. You got to bet a lot versus something like Walmart and Costco. It just, I would stick with the quality. Inventory does sound like it could be a challenge for some retailers who may have tried to order early, anticipating what people wanted, anticipating supply chain issues, getting that inventory, not selling as much maybe because of Omicron. I mean, Tim. Macy's comes to mind, and, and I want to be clear that this is not based on any knowledge that I have of, of their supply chain or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But in the past, um, inventory has been an issue for Macy's. Yeah, it, it has been, and, and it will be very tricky because a lot of these folks were offsides on supply chain issues. And, and as we got through the holidays and also a holiday season where a lot of the buying was early. Look, um, I think if you think about where Macy's has progressed and where they've changed their businesses, not only has their inventory management been really important, but their online sales have been important. And, and that's given them a sense of really where their retail audience is and, and where their consumer is. I, you know, the, the ultimate value play to me in, in retail right now is in Walmart. It's a company that deserves more of an e-commerce multiple. It's a company that's trading uh, 23 times forward. I, I think you know the big headwind for them will be labor costs. Um, I think they're able to pass on costs to anybody they want or squeeze their suppliers in an environment that also looks very uncertain. So uh, that's probably where I'd lean. Stitch Fix having a big day today, down 85% in a 52-week basis coming into this. Um, that's, that's the wolf in sheep's clothing. I, I, I would stay away from it. All right. Speaking of retail, do not miss the CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond tonight on Mad Money. Catch the exclusive interview at the top of the hour. Meantime, crypto getting hit hard again today. Bitcoin is now down more than 35% since its November peak. The broader cryptocurrency space also getting slammed. This comes on the back of a hawkish Fed meeting where officials indicated they may need to scale back supportive monetary policy and raise interest rates sooner than we thought. Um, Karen, should we be concerned about Bitcoin? I mean, it's, it's scared of the Fed, basically. It's scared of the Fed and that, you know, part of the underlying theory is if inflation runs amok and there's a threat to fiat currency, that's great for Bitcoin. But another part of Bitcoin is that it's sentiment and it's sort of getting pretty crowded right now for sentiment in the last couple of months. Right. We saw that institutional adoption and, and so a lot of money being thrown at it. All that having been said, though, I'm long Bitcoin, long many other currencies and just uh, staying long. This is sort of a garden variety sell-off to this point. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Of course, there could be tons more downside, but uh, I'm sticking with the long-term thesis here. It's not just—it's not just about inflation. It's just—it's about a digital currency and a better way to transact in the world, which I fully believe in. Yeah, the number two crypto by market cap, Ethereum. Um, J.P. Morgan had an interesting note out about how Ethereum is losing market share in DeFi, which uh, which it had absolutely dominated. Um, just a year ago, Tim, and I'm wondering as an Ethereum holder, if you are concerned about that, there are other uh, coins, other independent blockchains that are not built on the Ethereum network and the layer one network that Ethereum provides um, that are competitors at this point. 
No question. And, and part, of, you know, part of Ethereum's success was it really was the DeFi uh, platform to build upon. And even with the recent upgrade, you know, the sense was that this was only going to cement their position. Let's see. Um, I am a, a shareholder. Uh, I, I do think that part of the trade in the entire crypto space is trying to understand where some of these trades are going to broaden and where you're going to find uh, adoption and follow through. So I, I think there are a ton of institutions that are waiting for pullbacks here. And, and the pullbacks that we've seen so far, I, I'm not even sure I'd link them to the Fed. I, I think they are um, somewhat more related to just rotation and asset flows we've seen here. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people, and what we've seen is the last two big pullbacks, there's been a lot of institutional uh, absorption of, of that flow. And I think we're going to see it again. Yeah. Nadine, you say you're just, you're buying gold. And gold. You know, one of the things we have to remember is that a lot of these cryptos trade like commodities, right? So if you believe the path that Karen put out, that maybe the economy is going to be strong and rates are going to go up and you want to own banks, crypto should do well. But if we're a little bit on the opposite side, by the middle of the year, we think the growth of GDP is going to be decelerating and also in the growth of inflation is going to be decelerating, that tends to not be great for crypto. So I think we have to think of it something more that we trade versus that we own and hodl and own for years. That's how we think of it. It's a little bit different than just looking at um, the fundamentals or the strategy of a coin. It's, it's really how it trades. All right. Coming up, forget heavy metal. Light metal is where investors are finding real opportunity. The CEO of Lithium Americas will join us straight ahead. That stock has been on fire over the past year, and they haven't mined a single ounce of lithium. We'll ask them about that. Plus, IBM losing some steam, and that has options traders betting on more pain ahead. We'll break down that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lithium demand shooting through the roof in 2021, and it's showing no signs of letting up. That's pushed the valuation of one lithium miner to about $3.5 billion. But here's the catch. It hasn't produced an ounce of lithium. Let's bring in Jonathan Evans, Lithium America CEO. John, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Melissa. When will you produce that first ounce of lithium? Uh, later next year. So we have a, a, a late-term project in Argentina. It'll actually be the largest lithium capacity project coming in the market in decades that actually will come into production uh, in late late next year. Actually, no, late late this year. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, will actually be starting construction in uh, uh, our other asset in northern Nevada, which is the largest lithium deposit in North America. And, and we just are recently closing on another asset, uh, which is fairly close to our uh, our first project in Argentina. So very excited to, to get into uh, uh, servicing this sector, which is going to be very challenging over the next decade. Yeah, there are a lot of estimates in terms of how many EVs are projected to be on the road, Jonathan. And I'm sure you've done the math. I'm, I'm curious, how short would the world be of lithium? Let's say the projections of 230 million EV vehicles on the road by 2030 is, is right on. Um, how much lithium would that require and how much would we be short? Can you give us a sense of the shortage? Yeah, essentially for today, we need to expand the lithium supply in the world something like five times which is unprecedented. Uh, we're at about, say, a little less than 500,000 tons. So it's quite a small industry. Uh, and lithium isn't exactly rare, but it is rare to find deposits that are economic. And it takes a long time to build these. And they're, they're, the capital investment's quite uh, healthy, too. We're talking hundreds of millions to a billion dollars. So uh, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, but um, there's luckily, there's several companies here in the sector, like ours, that are uh, ready for the challenge. Capital intensive. Do you have the the capital that you need to to fully 
bring all of these assets up to up to speed and up to production that you for own? Argentina, for our first asset, we do. Uh, we have funding uh, requirements for uh, our, our asset in Nevada, which will likely take the form of a partnership and perhaps even uh, some government-backed loans by the Department of Energy. And then in Argentina, the new asset that we'll be closing on, uh, we'll be uh, putting a funding plan together for that. In, in some of the notes that I got um, from a conversation that you had with one of the producers here, John, you had indicated that you thought that there is trader and investor enthusiasm around your stock because one of your assets is in Nevada and it's fairly close to Tesla's Gigafactory. Do you have any relationship or partnership with Tesla at all right now to, to produce lithium for them, for their batteries? We have lots of ongoing discussions under NDA with many domestic producers, whether it be in batteries, uh, mining companies, chemical companies, both U.S., uh, European, and, and Asian. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Argentina, I have to ask you, because it, it seems like, you know, Argentina, Chile, for instance, these are, um, you know, the, the mines of the world for, for lithium. They have huge deposits of lithium in this area of South America. And the Argentinian government wants to be more involved in lithium production itself, even perhaps mining it itself, what kinds of guarantees do you have for your two projects in Argentina that you will actually be able to produce those mines and sell that lithium um, without having to make any sort of concessions in the future to the government? Uh, We have a tax stability uh, agreement with the government, and there's a long history, at least in lithium. Uh, I was with a former company, FMC, which is now Liven, which has been operating in Argentina for for decades. Uh, It's the best jurisdiction, at least in the lithium triangle. Uh, given the challenges in Chile with the uh, redrafting of their constitution and then the history of Bolivia. Uh, so we, we feel uh, very, very confident and have good partnership both at the federal and the provincial level in Argentina. It's a, it's a great place to be uh, developing uh, assets. All right, John, we're going to have to let you go now. Hope you'll come back and, and keep us posted. Jonathan Thanks. Evans of Lithium Americas. All right, Tim Seymour, if you're a believer in the EV trade, shouldn't you be a believer in the lithium trade? You should be. Um, first of all, the, the moves in some of these stocks is, you know, these have been 10 baggers in the last 12 months. And, and I do think that there's uh, a dynamic where there will be more players. And we still don't really know where the lithium battery is going to end up. But there's no question the demand cycle. I mean, we've all, all we've done this year and for the last month or so is talk about what's going on in, in, in EV land. So um, this reminds me a lot of the uranium trade. It reminds me a lot even of the gold trade where you had these miners trading on the AIM or up in Toronto. And I just warned investors to be very careful. I'm not suggesting that this company is that. I'm suggesting that there are a lot of uh, smaller cap names. There have been a couple companies that have despacked. Um, and the moves in these stocks have been astronomical for companies that don't make money. Yeah. Guy? Well, I mean, going to Bolivia didn't work out too well for Butch and Sundance. But that notwithstanding, they have $500 million in cash and cash equivalents on their balance sheet. He just talked about the NDAs they're under. You know, if you get a, a headline that they're in talks with Tesla, Rivian, any of those names, the stock goes from current levels back to $41, where it was in the beginning of December. So I actually think the risk reward, I mean, this is the high, this is the deep end of the pool, $100 table. But you got to like these names, given what the potential is moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Nadine? Yeah, I agree with Guy. It's obviously a little bit more riskier, but you're going to see some headline uh, up and down risk here. Uh, and I, I can't say that I wouldn't trade something like this. Like when MP Materials yesterday was on sale heavily, we bought it. 
Uh, we've been owners. It ran up. I sold it. So I, I think this is one thing that you also have to trade. This is not one of those things you go and you buy and you sit on because um, you sometimes will have crazy down days and crazy up days. But the point of the fundamentals is the price of batteries for electric cars remains strong despite a decade of falling prices. Demand is outstripping supply of lithium. And then supply is likely to remain constrained because the big Chinese producers, which we haven't talked about, you know, they continue to grapple with energy restrictions and they account for 65% of global battery production. So I can see fundamentally why you own it, but from operationally, we just haven't seen anything yet. So I'd just be a little bit more careful. I'd make this a very small trade. Is, would that be the number one issue for you, Karen? I mean, the fundamentals of the industry do point to a thriving lithium industry in theory, um, but this company hasn't actually produced mm -hmm. any lithium yet, although it will later this year. Right. So... You know what Yogi Berra says, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is. So to me, it's just this, this you know, evolution of from in the mind to, okay, we actually have a product, we have a working mind, we're able to harvest, mine it, whatever they, however they refer to it. There, that's not going to go smooth as silk, no problem. So there's going to be ups and downs along the way for sure. This, I couldn't agree more with everyone. You have to trade around it. This is, this is, but, but I won't even trade around it. It's too, I don't have the constitution for it. Coming up, shares of IBM dropping today, and that's had options traders piling in, and we will tell you how they are playing this one next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Check out IBM getting hit hard for the uh, second day in a row. Even as the broader tech landscape stabilized in Thursday's session, the action is options traders betting that there could be even more losses ahead for this legacy tech stock. Mike Co. joins us now to break down the action. Mike. Yeah, so IBM, we saw more than two times the average daily options volume. That was true, actually, of both calls and puts. But some of that call activity were actually sellers. And one of the options that was seeing a lot of opening activity was actually, actually the January 14th, 135 strike puts. Over 2,300 of those traded at an average price of $1.83. So obviously, buyers of those puts are believing the action that we've seen over these last two days and that the stock could continue lower between now and a week from this coming Friday. And I would point out that the options market was caught a little bit off sides by that nearly 20% gain that we saw off of November. It was only implying about a 20% implied volatility at that time, but it has picked up considerably since. Right now, options prices are about 50% higher than they were then. So it is expecting some volatility going mm -hmm. forward. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Check out GameStop still up uh, sharply on news that it is starting a division to launch an NFT marketplace and uh, form some crypto alliances. It's up 26 percent still in the after-hour session. Time for the final trade. Now let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. In that energy trade, EOG should be a core long-term holding. Their diversified drilling strategy is part of what makes them great. Free cash flow makes them better. Karen? Yes, in that same vein, the O in zombie trade, OIH, should do well when production increases. Nadine Turman. I'm going the opposite. Gold is oversold, so the gold ETF GLD, if you can buy it at 166 spot 80 or below, then you're entering the non-consensus play. Guy Adami. Bush and Sundance met their untimely demise, as Robert Shaw said in Jaws, in Bolivia, Mel. I mean, I know if you have to explain your jokes, they're not funny. APA Corp. 
Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.